everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Nothing Major on Roni Radio. I am Bella Hales Bradley. And I am Kate Armstrong. Welcome back to the show where we, two first year ANU art students, discuss social issues inspired by the content of our common major, gender, sexuality, and culture studies. Through this show, we're aiming to make the theory and content of this wonderful major accessible and digestible for you, an everyday audience, and hopefully be able to show you how its important theory applies to us in the everyday. So, without further ado, welcome to Nothing Major. well even with the current COVID situation obviously despite what we said last week we're not back in the studio due to Canberra's lockdown extensions I was so hopeful but of course we all need to stay safe we however live in perpetual hope that you guys will be able to finally listen to us and our voices live on radio 11 a.m on a Friday but I have to say Bella your voice does sound awfully crisp Stop it. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> you do as well. It might be due to our recent tiny equipment upgrade. That's right, guys. We invested a whole 40 bucks in microphones. I know. $40 each. And aren't you happy <laughs> we did? Don't we sound phenomenal? I won't lie, though, Bells. It might not be best for us to be live in the studio. So, yes, it does take us a few takes or weeks to get the show right. Not sure how life would go for us. Yeah, it might be a mess. We, we don't know. We um, we hope not. Anywho, before we dive into today's show, as always, be sure to find us on our Facebook page at Nothing Major Aroni, where you can find our email address, the link to our Spotify, and so many other exciting ways to interact with the show. Also, guys, fab news. Despite our pathetic lack of engagement these past couple of weeks, sorry about that, by the way, we promise it'll stop being more regular soon. We have finally gotten ourselves together. We put our time off to good use. And now we have an Instagram up and running that people can, or people have somehow found. They have found it. They have found. Despite us having not publicized it or having posted anything on it. (laughs) So thank you guys, I guess. For those of you who haven't found it, please head over there and check us out on It's a New it's fresh, it's spicy, it's different to all of our other handles at Nothing Major Waroni. Really creative, we know. You should be able to find out more information about us and the show and what we have up and coming over there. Yeah, as we said, hopefully we'll be able to reach out to you guys a bit more often than the once a week that we post on our Facebook page. And you can find out what we look like. Put a face to the sweet, sweet melodies of our voices. Because, like, we've realized that some people haven't even seen our beautiful faces. Actually, Bells, that reminds me of our other exciting news. Another way they'll be able to see the gorgeous expressions which accompany those sweet, sweet nothing major sounds. Care to share? Oh, of course. We'll be uploading a visual version of the show onto our new sparkling YouTube account. The full shebang. It's the Zoom recording of us trying our absolute hardest to be professional. (laughs) We'll pop the link to that up on our Facebook page and every new episode, including this one, will be available there, which is very exciting. We're doing this because we want nothing major to be accessible to all learning styles and engagement platforms. So for our visual learners, if you're someone who can't just listen to things like me and need to be able to see it, Please head over there to see the show and our lovely faces. Ah, on the topic of engagement with our show, Kate, did our lovely listeners share anything in our Google form this week? 
Well, hell yeah, they did bells. As per usual, girls were famous. I actually had to cut down the ones that we had had to address this week because there were just so many. Guys, there were six. We had six responses this week. We're just so (laughs) overwhelmed. Okay, maybe. But anyway, first of all, I'd like to really thank the listener who pointed out to us our university prejudice. This is a genuine thank you. For those of you who weren't able to access some of the articles on episode two, we're really sorry. There are ways to find accessible versions of these that aren't behind a paywall, we promise, and we'll be posting links to these versions in this week's Facebook post, and we'll make a note of it in the future. We're really sorry, guys. of course. Otherwise, another point of clarification we had, and clarification is something we're so welcome to. One of you guys said that you thought New Zealand had women's suffrage before Australia, because remember that last week's episode, we popped in a couple of facts about Australian suffrage in the second wave. And Kate, were they right? Did one of us, one of us who was a history student, mess this up really phenomenally? Don't call me out like that, Bella. Okay, look. (laughs) Yes, they were more or less correct. New Zealand was the first country to give women the right to vote. However, they couldn't stand for parliament. So what we mentioned last week was that Australia was the first country to give women the right to vote and to stand for parliament. However, in terms of women's suffrage holistically, New Zealand was just miles ahead of Australia in terms of giving Maori women voting rights. For sure. Now, Bells, we also have this really big theoretical question on the forum, which deserves our attention. It's a big one. So our ability to address it today, it's only going to be short. It won't cover it all. It'll just show our personal opinions on the subject. Yeah, this is just us showing you that we do, in fact, read the Google form. We're sitting there waiting (laughs) for all of the responses every week. Um, But we're saving this question and some of the topics that we're going to bring up for another episode. So do not fret. Yeah, exactly. I won't lie. I have refreshed that Google form a few times in the past week. Anyway, Bells, one of our listeners wanted to know our takes on the question, can men or male aligning people be feminists? Jesus, Kate, that's such a big question. And we're only five minutes into the show. We haven't even done like our disclaimers yet. How do we even go about answering this? Speaking of disclaimers. Oh my gosh. Excellent segue. (laughs) Because we're now jumping into our discussions of sex and gender for today, it's important to note, as we do every week, here at Nothing Major, we use terms such as men and women. We're suited, these terms are not situated within their traditional binary, and they can be used to reference individuals who may align within or outside of these structures, i.e. when we say women, it encompasses all women and anyone within which a woman-aligned experience might resonate or generate an understanding of some of the specific issues that we discuss. Yeah, it's really important that we say this now and not every time that we mention each term, because if anything, stressing over-inclusion can accidentally move full circle into exclusion or segregation. All right, so back to the question, Kate. Can men be feminists? Are men even allowed to be feminists? Is feminism some sort of girls-only sleepover pillow party cult? I really want to say yes to that last one. Like, that's just a beautiful vision of feminist action. I can see it on the next poster. Look, when I first saw the question on the Google form, I actually asked one of my best mates, and I think that she put it very well. She said that men and feminism aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, they're intrinsically linked since the whole movement is based on equality. And I feel like this puts our perspective on the issue really nicely. Yes, men can be feminists. Yeah, but with that being said, 
Um, it's important to note that we think there are definitely a necessity for autonomous spaces where women's experience can, can exclusively be shared. Men can definitely be feminists, but women's voices should undoubtedly have priority in women's centric feminist discourse. Yeah, on that note, there are some elements of feminist discourse that impact men or male aligning people more than they do women. So, of course, men need to be feminists and engage in this in order to act enact positive change. Yeah, totally. And we saw last week in the second wave that feminism can feel incredibly exclusionary. And this can be due to a whole plethora of factors. But there are specific issues of patriarchy that substantially impact men or the way in which masculinity is perceived and displayed in society. We specifically as cis women can't inherently speak to this, obviously. So we need men to engage with it as well. It's important to make it known that we here at Nothing Major believe in the patriarchy. Whilst it is a disputed term in gender studies discourse, from our perspectives and opinions, this social structure, which dominates global socio-political spheres, is really important to acknowledge and navigate when attempting social change. Yeah, patriarchy inevitably gives power and value to being male. It's inevitable that when you combine masculinity with other sectors of identity, like whiteness, being upper class, cisgender, and able-bodied, that there is a level of social mobility that could be an asset to be capitalized upon when you're an ally to feminism. Yeah, men have the privilege in a lot of feminist discourse, like the discussion we're going to be having today, of deciding whether or not they want to be feminists. But as we've just said, their allyship as such can be hugely beneficial to these causes. That was such a good save, Kate. The last time <laughs> we were practicing this, Kate spoiled our discussion for this week before, ah! we, before we'd announced the theme. This <laughs> issue of being an ally versus speaking to issues is really important to us here at Nothing Major. And it's something not only relating to men and feminism, but to a lot of social issues generally. Yeah, we absolutely cannot speak to all of the issues we address here as cis, white, able-bodied women of good socioeconomic standing who have the privilege to attend university and to have this amazing radio show. Yeah, we're in a position where we can't speak on issues, like all of the issues, but rather only educate ourselves and explore them from the perspective of allies. And with this amazing platform that we've been given, it's just it's become such an amazing way to do it. Yeah. Okay, Bella, we do have a show to run. So that's all that we're going to be able to talk about today. But I think this is a really interesting topic that I assume we'll inevitably discuss throughout later shows and hopefully even maybe be able to give it a show of its own. What do you reckon? Don't spoil the surprise, Kate. It might get its own <laughs> episode. We promise there'll be more time dedicated to this hot question. But for now, we'd like to know what you guys think. Head over to the Nothing Major Instagram at Nothing Major Aroni to have your say. Can men or male aligning people be feminists and why? What do you think? As always, if you'd like to do this anonymously, you can do so as well on the Google form. Alrighty. So finally onto the show. Today's an exciting one, guys. We've gone international and reached out to our friends in the US to help us with the show. Have you guessed what it is yet? As always at Nothing Major, we want to bring up things that are topical, fresh, spicy, things that we might encounter in our daily lives. In the past couple of weeks, all over the news, on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook, have been these monumental changes that are being applied to Texas's te- Texan. 
the Texan abortion laws. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, guys. Look, if you haven't heard yet, because you don't have these forms of media engagement or you just don't want to consider America existing like ever. They're problematic. We understand. We really understand. Or look, if you aren't a gender studies student constantly looking for a topic to run on a radio show weekly-ish. Or if you live under a rock, we understand. That's fine. Like, (laughs) honestly, in these times, a rock might be really nice. We want to talk this week about (laughs) Texas and the changes to abortion law that are occurring not only in this state, but in the US and our takes and how they might affect us. So how the hell are we structuring the show, Bella? A classic feminist rant? No, no. Well, I mean, maybe. If we can't do a feminist rant, what on earth are we going to do, Kate? Well, we actually have an extra saucy surprise for you guys. Oh my God, stop it. Saucy, what is it? (laughs) This week, nothing major. As I said, went global. That's right. With the help of our wonderful friend, Mr. Oscar Eichmann, a student at the University of Pennsylvania, we were able to get perspectives from people in the US about these issues. These responses are going to form the basis of our episode this week. That is just so exciting. By the way, guys, thank you to Oscar for our tote bags. That's right. Our number one fan actually made us and sent us merch all the way from the US. And you can see it on our Instagram, little merch preview. I love it. Um, Thank you so much, Oscar. We love you so much. Number one fan. We're your number one fan. (laughs) We love you. (laughs) Anyway, just to add to the excitement, this episode is actually, get ready, in two parts. Today we're looking at abortion laws from the American perspective and relating it back to gender studies. Oh, and of course, because we're Australian, the next episode will examine abortion rights in an Australian context. See, we told you we put our weeks off to good use, and this means that you guys get double the nothing major content this week. The second episode should be uploaded only a few short days after the first. That's right, guys. Get just so excited. In the second part, we're going to take the answers that we got in this part and put them into a global perspective. And then we're going to end each episode with our opinions, our conclusions to keep everything spicy and new. And maybe that might just be a cheeky feminist rant. You never know. But before we get started on this episode, we'd like to, as always, provide you guys with a comprehensive content warning. In this episode, we'll be having discussions on abortion rights. And with that, there'll be mentions of sexual assault, harassment, and sexual violence. But Kate, what exactly is going on in Texas? Like, what is going on? Okay, right. So a bit of an overview. So back in May, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed this thing known as the Heartbeat Act, later known as Senate Bill 8 or SB 8. The reason it's back on our radars, though, is that this law took effect on September 1st of this year. So only a couple of weeks ago. SB 8, as we're going to refer it to today, came into effect after the Supreme Court in America didn't respond to an emergency appeal by abortion providers to block it. Thus, it made the Texas laws on abortion the strictest in the U.S. Basically, the crux of SB 8, what's most important to remember, is that it restricts abortions up to six weeks. Chosen as ultrasound technology can detect an electrical signal known as a flutter at this time. This is the reason it's called the heartbeat bill. But this flutter is disputed because at that point, the embryo doesn't actually have a heart. Yeah, there's a couple of medical issues. We're going to get into that. 
But also six weeks for people with a regular menstrual cycle is just two weeks after a missed period. And I know that like, personally, two weeks could be I'm not eating properly or I'm super stressed. Like two weeks is not a big amount of time. Yeah, I feel like the majority of women have definitely had late periods at some point in their lives, which they haven't considered a pregnancy scare or Mm -hmm. a sign of pregnancy. And I know it's all a bit ridiculous. You know, abortion rights groups say that the law amounts to a near total ban because of this. As in Texas, 85 to 90% of abortions in the state are obtained after six weeks of pregnancy. Yeah, so that's the basics. Now we need to get the Americans' takes on it. Yeah, so basically we asked them two questions. What were they, Bells? Okay, so first question, we asked them how did they feel about the new Texas abortion law and do they feel threatened by those changes? All righty, here were their responses. I definitely do feel threatened by them, you know, as a woman. Yeah, it makes me really upset. I feel very threatened by them as a woman. I think there's a lot of legal threat because it is paving the way for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I know that the Texas abortion laws and how the Supreme Court ruled on them, like, is beginning to dismantle Roe v. Wade, which makes my rights as a woman feel very threatened. The fact that in the United States, where there's supposed to be a lot more liberal people and more progressive, that an entire state has now put in these laws where abortion is illegal is like very scary as a woman in general regardless of where you're from because people will follow eventually i think the most problematic part about the law is that other people can report you to the government and you can get punished just for getting an abortion and you know the fact that it's so severe six weeks no um exceptions for rape or incest it's extreme and other states have started to do the same thing mississippi alabama They've instituted similar laws um, and it's just paving the way for intrusion on women's rights, especially with a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court. Um, and soon it might be 7-2. In the 21st century, I'm like very shocked by the fact that this is happening after all of the medical studies that have been done on it to say like, it's, you're not actually killing a human being and why abortion should be legal. It's very scary. It's kind of alarming to see a state, especially the government, limit my rights to an abortion. Because the United States is, you know, the number one country and lots of countries follow them. And it makes me very angry. We then asked them if they think that these new laws in Texas represent the views of the broader American public. Here's what they said. No, I do not think so. Uh, No. No, because I know that... 80% of Americans think that abortion should be legal. It doesn't necessarily represent America and what America can be because we're a country founded on equality and, like, liberty. I think that more and more states have tried to um, enact laws that go against basic public opinion. I think that the majority of Americans actually are in favor of abortion or they, they don't support getting rid of abortion rights. I think that... It represents the constant struggle of, like, gaining women's equality in America. You know, like, ever since Roe v. Wade, the fight for, like, the right to an abortion has really never been resolved. So I think in that aspect, it does represent the struggle for equality that 
occurs in America. Half of the Senate seats are held by Republicans, but only 38% of Americans, you know, live in states of that kind. I think that this is the mentality of uh, a few elite white men. So look, there's a bunch of other issues with this law, and we're going to unpack them very strategically, very logically. What the hell are we going to do, Kate? Look, Bella, I really want to dive into how problematic this law is and how much I hate it and how it makes me angry. Honestly, me too. I'm just, I'm fuming. But we want this episode to unpack what is occurring so that people can understand just what a momentous act has just occurred. So we're going to give you the facts, but also tell you why it sucks so bad and why it's just fundamentally really scary. So there were a couple of key things that the Americans pointed out that we want to dive into. The first thing that we hear is that each of the woman identifying participants feels threatened by these new laws. This isn't new. We weren't expecting like any other answer. A major factor in this, though, we think, is the drastic changes that SB8 is making to who and how abortion is accessed. So first of all, in terms of access, SBA makes it extraordinarily hard to access abortion services. But Bells, this isn't the first time that Texas has made legislative changes that encroach upon how abortion services are provided and obtained. What are some of the ways they've done that? Well, Texas is notorious for limiting or ceasing altogether the funding of family planning clinics like Planned Parenthood that provide abortion services. There's also been the introduction of targeted laws that regulate these abortion providers. In 2013, Texas restricted voluntary pregnancy termination to 20 weeks, as well as the introduction of a broad swathe of these regulatory laws. In 2021, Texas has about 24 abortion clinics, and this number is down from roughly 40 before 2013. What we saw in 2013 was that clinics were forced to close, and we're expecting to see that again in the aftermath of SB8. This is just like a monumental and incredibly impactful issue. Some are predicting that if legal abortion care in Texas is limited in the way that SBA does, the average one-way driving distance to an abortion clinic will increase from 19 to 399 kilometers. Guys, just let that sink in. 399k is a fair bit over the distance from Canberra to Sydney. It's a five or six hour drive each way. And this is the crux of the access issue. What this means is that people wanting to access an abortion will have to travel further or travel out of state. We have to understand that the people who have the means to access abortion care at this greater cost will inevitably still be able to do so. A study in the Journal of Healthcare which examined this relationship between abortion rate in Texas and the proximity of people to abortion services found that a 160-kilometer increase in distance to the nearest abortion facility was associated with a 10% decrease in the overall abortion rate. But Kate, what is it about the stat that makes it so significant? Well, basically, they found that, yes, there was an overall decrease, but the decreases in individuals accessing abortion were far more significant if they were African-American or Hispanic rather than white. 
The crux of this is that Texas has steadily chipped away at legal and practical access to abortion for decades. The mistresses of these elite Texan governors who are making these laws will still be able to get abortions. And this isn't what it, what is at risk. And frankly, I don't think it ever will be at risk. If you have certain socioeconomic privileges, you're going to be able to obtain care. Okay, so that was a lot. What is our access summary? Basically, SB8 is going to restrict abortion access for those who need it most. It's going to restrict access to people who can't afford to take time off work, people who can't afford to travel long distances, and these people are all going to be disproportionately impacted by this legislation. What we think is really important to note is that these people are overwhelmingly non-white. They're overwhelmingly lower class and living in chronically under-resourced communities, usually rurally. The next thing that we hear brought up is the fact that this law is, quote, so severe, it's extreme, and other states have started doing the same. Why is this another issue with SB8, Bells? Well, Kate, there are phenomenally limited reasons for an exemption to the six-week rule of SB8. They amount, in total, to one, if there's a medical risk to the pregnant woman, and two, if there's a detected fetal abnormality. And that's all? Yep. Okay, so let me just clarify. So that means that if you are pregnant as a result of rape or incest, you are not exempt from SB8. You cannot get an abortion after six weeks. Yes. As our interviewee mentioned, which, as I assume you will all agree, this is just nuts. Obviously, there has been justified public outrage at this. When asked to explain, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said this. And I'm quoting, let's make something very clear. Rape is a crime and Texas will work tirely to make sure that we eliminate all rapists from the streets of Texas by aggressively going out and arresting them and prosecuting them and getting them off the streets. He had a solution this whole time and just decided not to tell us. I'm impressed he held on to it so long, Bells, with there being, you know, an estimated 15,000 incidents of rape in Texas in 2019, the most of any state in the country. Ah, yes, Kate. I'm just as shocked as you. If you can't hear by our sarcasm, Governor Abbott's pledge to end all rapes in Texas is just hugely unrealistic. And in all honesty, it's just very viscerally and deeply tone deaf. It's undisputed that there will be women in his state who get pregnant because of a rape and will be unable to get an abortion because of SB8. Oh, and might I add that there are plenty of things the state could be doing to reduce rapes besides passing a law that criminalizes a rape survivor from being able to terminate her pregnancy. Oh yeah, like fixing the, I don't know, approximately 2,000 rape kits that are currently backlogged in the Texas justice system? Anyway, to summarize, SB8 means that there is no abortion after six weeks unless it is absolutely and extenuatingly medically necessary. Oh, guys, but it's okay because Governor Abbott's going to eradicate rape. I'm just, I'm so frustrated and I'm so angry. I've just, I've heard some stupid things said by men, but this really takes the cake. It I levels really live it up. With I'm so upset. Men. I, <laughs> I just, anyway. Now on to the third problem item of this bill. If you aren't already red with rage, let us look at the legal aspect, something that all our lovely participants discussed in their interviews. 
Alrighty, Kay. You're a law student. Tell me about it. Speak your sweet, sweet law jargon to me. Oh, please don't say that. So basically, <laughs> SB8 is different. She's unique. She's quirky compared to all the other abortion bans because she contains a private cause of action, which is a legal provision that allows private individuals, not the state, to enforce the law. Okay, I do an arts degree. What does that mean? <laughs> all right, all right. So this is a civil law that allows an individual, any individual, to sue anyone who aids or abets an abortion beyond six weeks of pregnancy. Just to clarify things, this doesn't mean the woman herself, she can't be sued, but this could literally be anyone else involved from the Uber driver to the medical professionals. Critics of this facet of SB8 have described it as a kind of bounty. And honestly, Kate, I find it really accurate. The person who sues does not need to have any connection whatsoever to the person who receives said illegal abortion or even, get this, live in Texas. But if they win, they receive a grand reward of US $10,000 and they have their legal fees covered. Oh, it's worth to note that defendants who successfully argue against the lawsuit do not have their legal fees covered. Yeah, in summary, it's just fundamentally ridiculous. Allowing private entities to dob in and subsequently gain monetary reward from people who access healthcare is just so unfathomable. The desired consequence appears to be to insulate the Texas state from responsibility for implementing and enforcing SB8, which is a law that they made. Do you remember those like old reward posters that you see in like Wild West movies? Like that's really what I'm feeling. I'm feeling it's just like bounty, $10,000 if you... Okay, I'm really <laughs> going to stop that accent now. Um, anyway, sorry to our American viewers for that moment. That was so insensitive, Kate. <laughs> the resulting legal and social ramifications of this was really neatly put by our male identifying interviewee, where he said that these laws could potentially lead to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, especially in the context of the emerging conservative Supreme Court. If you don't know, Roe v. Wade was the landmark 1973 decision which established a constitutional right in America to the abortion procedure. One of our interviewees talked about America's constitution, quoting ideas of liberty and equality. That's really debatable. Liberty and equality for some, for a few. The select few. Roe v. Wade was incredibly monumental and it cemented a lot of the feminist progress that was made in the decades preceding it. So how can they overturn something that is in the Constitution? How does that even work? Basically, America has a Supreme Court. It's a collection of justices that vote on like big, important decisions. Over the past couple of years, the Supreme Court has gained a worrying conservative majority, meaning that decisions coming out of it will basically lean this way. For a little bit of context, Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents are 45 percentage points more likely than their Republican counterpoint counterparts to say that abortion should be legal in all or most cases so with a conservative majority we're going to see a lean away from abortion being legal this majority currently stands at 6-3 as you may remember our interviewee mentioning but the vote to block sb8 was a 5-4 decision yeah but this isn't as encouraging as it may ostensibly seem Yes, a conservative jumped the fence to block the Texas law, but that in statement was on the grounds of disagreement with the legal terms and not the bill itself. 
And regardless of this conservative jump, they were still the four in the 5-4 decision and it was not blocked. Basically, what's concerning now is that the Supreme Court's ruling on SB8 is almost certain to fuel the hopes of abortion opponents and fears of abortion rights advocates as the court takes up separate case in its new term this autumn to decide whether Roe v. Wade should be overruled. Yeah, you heard that right. We're quite literally staring down the barrel here. We could be watching as Roe v. Wade gets overturned. How could this happen, Kate? Basically, the court is due to hear an appeal to allow Mississippi to ban most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Like our interviewee said, if the appeal is successful, the justices could overturn Roe v. Wade. And this would allow conservative states to immediately start outlawing abortion. Not good. Not good at all. Not what we want. Not fans. (laughs) There are just like so many social ramifications of even the threat of Roe v. Wade being overturned. It just terrifies me to think of what could happen if it actually happened. What we're seeing in America is that abortion has become this incredibly polarized and politicized issue when at least we are nothing major think it's just a fundamental concern of healthcare. Yeah, we couldn't find a source for the 80% statistic that a couple of our interviewees referenced. We'd love to find out if you guys could send us a link or something. But polls from the Pew Research Center indicate that nearly six in 10 Americans believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases. However, abortion has long been, as we've said, one of America's most contentious social issues. And this stat masks a stark partisan divide. Like we said earlier, a high proportion of people who lean politically left support abortion rights, whereas an equally high proportion of their right-leaning counterparts, oh my gosh, I haven't said that right at all this episode, (laughs) supports strict abortion regulation. This can definitely be seen to be a product of the emerging conservative leadership. And with this comes a worrying infringement upon the rights and bodily autonomy of people who need to and have a right to access abortion care. What we're trying to say with this is that these monumental decisions herald the start of just an unfathomably long battle. But all hope is not lost yet. Organizations such as Planned Parenthood on July 13th, 2021, joined a coalition of other abortion providers, doctors, clergy, abortion funds, and practical support networks across this Texas state in filing a federal lawsuit in an effort to block SB8 before it could take effect. As we know, SB8 ended up taking effect and is currently in place in Texas, but this legal fight was not foregone and it is currently ongoing. Planned Parenthood has also released a comprehensive set of guidelines on how to access their services while the SB8 law is in place. Planned Parenthood centers in Texas are offering abortion in compliance with SB8, which means that abortion access is drastically reduced for the majority of patients in need. What they can do is assist in connecting individuals with resources to obtain out-of-state care, including financial assistance. Yeah, Planned Parenthood and other affiliated organizations are doing literally all that they can to continue to provide adequate healthcare. But what we're seeing with SB8, like its predecessors, is that this is making it incredibly difficult to do so. These centers that are in jeopardy don't just provide abortion services. So there's a whole list of ramifications if they begin to close. So we want to stress that SB8 is just an unconstitutional law engineered to prohibit women from exercising their constitutional rights under Roe v. Wade. 
And on top of that, the private clauses that are included basically let this Texas state evade all, if any, judicial scrutiny. So, well, that was information overload. So much to tackle there. Bells, did you get all that? Need a moment to buffer? I think I need quite a few. I'm feeling (laughs) so educated. I just can't handle it. Okay, so episode rundown. On the 1st of September this year in Texas, there was a new abortion law, SB8. It came into effect, which restricts abortion up to six weeks before many women know they're pregnant. This is the strictest abortion regulation in America, and there are some pretty big issues that left our interviewees, as well as a lot of the American public, feeling quite concerned. Of course, we can't forget that there's a $10,000 US dollar bounty that this law makes literally no exceptions, and it is, in essence, going to make accessing abortion services so, so much harder for people in Texas. What we're seeing is that this could pave the way for other state legislatures to follow suit and that the Supreme Court, getting real conservative, is only going to make this reality more achievable. And there's the genuinely concerning and frightening fact that this has the potential to overthrow Roe v. Wade. Yeah, just once again, resonate with that for a moment. This bill, Senate Bill 8, SBA, the Heartbeat Act, has the potential to initiate the overturning of American women's constitutional right to access a fundamental healthcare service that is abortion. Undoubtedly, we are entering into uncertain times, but we hope that through avenues like Nothing Major, you can find the education, the resources to better access and understand what is going on. Yes, and doing this episode has helped us to understand the minute details of what's happening in Texas, and that is just unspeakably important in bringing a contentious issue like abortion into gender studies and feminist discourse. Due to the extremity of this, it has the potential to have global ramifications. One of our interviewees said that America is the number one country and a lot of other countries will follow. But Kate... We're saving that for the next episode. Don't worry, guys. We're not stopping here. (laughs) Yes, yes. Be sure to tune in to our next episode, part two of our exploration of abortion rights, where we use the same discussion provided by our wonderful friends in the US and apply this outside of the American eunuch. Thank you again to our American friends at UPenn for their contributions. We really appreciate it. Yes, it was amazing. We literally could not have done this episode without them. And the next episode. In the next episode, we're going to be looking at our personal history, like what our rights are now in Australia and what the potential for this law in Texas, what ramifications in Australia are going to be and globally. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. How did we go? What do you all think? If you let us know fast enough, because we've already got most of the second episode written, we'll talk about it in part two. But next week, we will fingers, toes, and other phalanges crossed be back to our regular streaming times. Otherwise, if you want to find out more about Nothing Major on Roni, follow us at at Nothing Major Roni on Facebook and Instagram, or find us on Spotify and YouTube. You should be able to find these links on our Facebook and Instagram pages. And as always, all the research material for today's show will be uploaded to our Facebook page for your viewing pleasure, along with the non-paywall versions from the last episode. Sorry again. Otherwise, if you'd like to get in touch with us, if you have an amazing idea, if you want to participate on our show or you have any suggestions for us, please do not be afraid to send us an email on radionothingmajor at gmail.com. No caps and no gaps.
Also, don't be afraid to send us a DM on Instagram or interact with our Instagram stories, which will hopefully allow us to engage with you guys a bit more. Which is super exciting. But on that note, that is all we have time for today. I've been Bella Hales-Bradley. And I'm Kate Armstrong. And as always, my lovelies, we'd like to remind you to stay safe, stay educated, stay sexy. And honestly, if that's the last you wanted to hear from us, it's nothing major. You've been listening to Nothing Major on Moroni Radio. See you next week, or if you're eager, in a couple of days for part two.